0: our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on
1: social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, gang. Hey, welcome to the second part of our series, "Asking for a Friend." Last week was great. We really dealt with uh, one of the the highest questions that you asked during our Easter, during the response time, and it was about stress. And so, if you missed that message, you can watch it online. Of course, we've stopped streaming our services because church isn't a TV show. You're welcome, and I'm so glad that you're in the house. If you have to watch at home for health reasons, if you're a trucker on the road. Truck on friend, but uh, other than that, get off the couch and come into church. Can can I hear an amen from anybody in the house? You can check with any of those messages at newchapel.com/watch. And uh, the last message was on stress. Today we're going to be answering questions that I think you might not even know that you had, but I think it's going to be powerful and something that's going to be moving in your life. And it certainly was for me first service. I know it won't disappoint. Gabe George has spent his entire adult life building the local church. He's planted churches. He's affected the way that we do family ministry. He was a kid's pastor for a long time. Many of the changes that we made back in New Kids and implementing the Kids on the Move curriculum were pioneered by some of the decisions made by Gabe George. He is the father of two, Charlie and Jane, and he is the husband to his wonderful and, I'm sure, accommodating wife, Summer, Gabe George has become a warm friend to me, and I believe that after today, New Chapel will mark him as a warm friend. New Chapel, would you please, all over the room, stand up on your feet, put your hands together for Pastor Gabe George.
0: I did the same thing in the first service, why not continue? Oh, good morning. Um, what a special thing it is to be here, truly. So I travel around and I preach, and um, it's, it's kind of a known thing within, the I guess, the circuit minister that everywhere you go is your favorite place ever, and every pastor that you're with is your best friend. Um, I'm kind of new to this, and so I have yet to learn how to manipulate all that, um, <laughs> but I truly love your pastor's. Truly love them. Um, I met Joe in February. He came down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, to a hunting lodge that my father uh, runs. And um, I met him there and about 30 seconds into it, I was like, I don't, I'm trying to figure this guy out, right? Like, I'm sure some of you, if you're new here, you're like, I, like you're laughing and then you're like, hang on. Um, that's what I was doing, just listening and like, I don't know, who is this guy? But after about 30 seconds, I was like, oh wait, no, I love this guy. I love him because he's salty and uh, he's got sort of a, you know, mean kindness, which I don't know, I, this is my favorite thing ever. Just like if you're going to be sort of mean to me, but you, I know you'd love me somewhere down deep in there, I actually really prefer it. Uh, and they say sarcasm is like some sort of mask for something. I don't know. I'm very sarcastic. And I just think, eh, no, I just think it's funny. And it's a funny way to live life. And I met Joe and I was like, oh, he's even way more sarcastic than I am. (laughs) And, uh, I just really enjoyed my time with him. And a large part of that was because not only does he just keep me laughing, um, but he has a real depth, a real depth, a spiritual depth. And that's important because it's one thing to sort of do this. And like I said, I've been around this my whole life to do this, to sort of play the game of it, and to know how to speak real light encouragement over someone. But those things don't mean much to me. Um, it's, it's all fine, but the Christian ease of it is irrelevant to me. I just don't care. Uh, but if talking to someone, you realize, oh, they, they've thought this through, and they're, they're challenging something in me, and I can sense that this is the Holy Spirit in this person, that's, that's a critical thing. And so for those of you who called New Chapel home, God loves you that's right. and he put you in a good place. For those of you who are, are unsure about it, I, I'll just tell you that hopefully after this message, some things clarify because I don't speak as one that has a personal investment in this church. I speak as an outsider and that's important because what I'm going to tell you uh, it, it is from an outside perspective, I have nothing to gain from this. It just is the truth. It's just reality for you. And this church has been sent by God and this family has been sent by God. And I just want to thank you both Um, because it's no small thing. (laughs) I started a church in Los Angeles. Uh, I was a part of a church plant in uh, Dallas, Texas. It's um, it's a familial call. It's something that you sign up for and mostly in ignorance. Because if you had any idea whatsoever, you would never do it. Uh, you would, if you if you could just be told like this is what to expect in year three, four, or five, whatever, you'd go. Well, I quit, you know, and I quit God, you know, and I just go jump in a boat, and you know maybe a whale swallows me. But we're gonna just go that route. Um, but it is a serious thing to say yes to. And 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 guys, I know that you don't. I know you understand this to a degree and I'm not calling you ignorant, but there is such a cost to this. And a lot of people just look at the, you see the stage and you see a light and you just think in this day and age we live in where people want to be semi-famous and whatever their, you know, vocation is, that it's like there's this great benefit to being up here. And the benefit is solely that you obey God and you're about his business because this... As, as, as I guess as neat as it is and can be to get up and have a microphone and communicate and speak your mind or your heart, uh, the cost of it is so much greater than just this moment. And, and, and the glory that you might go, oh, that guy I can't trust him. He's in it for himself. I'm like, well, this is the worst thing to do if you're in it for yourself. Truly, it's just the worst. You you'd you learn real quick, like, oh, they tricked me. And so I just want you to know, thank you. Thank you on behalf of people um, for the cost that you pay. And God is with you, and he is strengthening you. Uh, but, it, but it is no small thing what you're doing. And it is a blessing to these people and to this community and even to those who don't know it yet. Uh, on behalf of Jesus, thank you for paying the price. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. So I love you guys. I, I, Summer and I both... I, I, told, I told my wife, Summer, she didn't meet Joe in Tulsa. I told her, I said, hey, I love this guy. But I hesitated to tell her half the things he said because I'm like, you may not like him. If I tell you this, you'll think, oh, my God. And, and, and you'd be right, but you need to know him. Because when you know him, then it's all awesome. But you just have to walk that journey of faith. And so... Uh, yeah, we just went to the hotel last night. I was like, oh my gosh, I just, I love you both. We love you both. It's like, these are, these are friends. And uh, that, that, that's, not a, that's not a small thing to us, because and, and, I don't have a lot of them. Um, and you'll find out why uh, momentarily. I love the church. The church is very imperfect. And I don't mean it's just a big old mess. I just mean that, that it's filled with us. And and we do the absolute best we can. I know that there are people in this room that you've been to church and, and and maybe you're new to this church and you're still sizing it up, or maybe that you come from another church, you've been out of church for a long time and you're just checking it out because there's some there's wound attached to church because there's there are people in the church and people do things that we don't fully understand, and, and, and just from our seat, we, we maybe determine what their motive is, and we don't like it. And there are some things that you see, and some things you see in other places and churches that you don't go to that you look at and go, Oh my gosh, it's corrupt. There's corruption in it. And, and, and that's true. There are people that fail. Um, and, and, and it's a challenge for us to go in and submit. It, it's, it's a serious thing to step into a place. And Joe said it it's not easy to come into a church. These days, and the reason is because you are entrusting your soul to a person that you don't even know, and you're like, speak to me, challenge me, and the more you know them, the more you're willing to do that. But but it's not a small thing. Therefore, it's not a small thing for me to get up here and to speak into your soul. It's an intimate thing to do that, and so I take it quite seriously. The church is a place I love because the church is God's plan, and because it's God's plan, it is opposed. The church is in a fight. Following Jesus means that you are in a fight. Anything that is God's agenda is going to be pushed against. But this is not new. It has always been the case. And it's very important for you to hear that, to understand that, that to follow Jesus to be a part of the church, which is not just a service, of course, or, or, or to claim new chapel, but it is that I am a part of a community of believers. To do those things means that you are opposed. So you should expect a fight. Yeah. There, there is a fight in the world. We feel it, the, just the decay of society in so many ways. Moral decay, social decay, there's political decay, there's a pandemic, there's war. All these different things that are going on, it feels like there is a squeeze on, on the earth. And those of us that follow Christ are looking for his imminent return, and that's not wrong. But I think the worst thing we can do as followers of Jesus is experience the squeeze, and what we do with the squeeze is we retreat a little bit, hoping for his return from our gated community. Like we want to band together and stay around those that are like us. And, and, and hopefully we can keep the world out enough so that we can just sort of huddle and then he'll come rescue us and he'll make all this crap right. You know, that's what it feels like. And so it's a typical response. It's a response that I fully understand because there is a part of us that wants to guard this. this the goodness in the world feels like a very corrupt place, and it is. But to fight the way Jesus fights is not to retreat. It's never to retreat. And, and, and I would say that there is a fight within the church and we see this stuff in the country and the, the world and there's all this mess out there. But, but the other reality is that all of us as individuals, we have our own very, very personal fight. And we all fight different things. And so a lot of the time what we do is we wrestle with maybe the gap between where we're at and what the word of God says about freedom, uh, just just our purpose, just the things that we're meant to do, or just the blessing of God, the goodness of God. What does that mean? And we are here and that's here. And we're trying to reconcile that space by faith. And so we, we feel the, the void. And so what we do with the void is we go, well, I, I don't know how to deal with that, but but we project our personal pain a lot of the time onto the what's happening out in the, the, the greater story. And what I mean by that is this. I, I said I spent time in Los Angeles. A lot of the people that had problems with God in LA, it wasn't a lack of faith necessarily, it was always. You tell me about a good God, but how would a good God let these things happen? And I'm sure that there are people in this room, you have that same question. If God is good, then how this? If God is good, then how these external things out here, and what I notice is it was never really about their deep, deep heart for the persecuted in the Sudan. Usually what they would do is go, how could good God let these horrible things happen to these people out here? Usually it was about how could a good God let the things that have happened to me happen? It's always personal. Always personal. So the fight that we're in is... A fight as a body but we're in a fight as individuals and it is critical critical for us as followers of christ in this day and age with the people watching us that we fight and we win yeah. right. not just that we hope to get out of the fight in 1985 my dad uh, took my brother sister and i'm i have a brother's two and a half years older than me his name's whitney um took us to see really a great film one of the best films of all time i was seven years old and he took us to see rocky IV. Uh, four and uh raise your hand if you've seen rocky four okay some of you haven't and i'm going to spoil it but it was 85 so you've had time um if you're having an issue delineating between you know the 19 rocky films rocky four is the one where rocky travels to russia and he fights the great russian and i don't even know i don't even know if i can say that this today great russian but but he does he fights the great russian ivan drago and, and he wins, and, and he then also ends the Cold War after that, <laughs> with a speech. We think it's a speech. No one understands it uh, what Rocky yelled out to the Gorbachev character, uh, but it just it changed everything, and two warring nations came together in harmony. Well, I watched that movie, and I walked out of there as a seven-year-old, and, and Rocky was fine. Right, but it was Ivan Drago that I was just mesmerized by—just this giant, awesome Russian guy. And uh, we went home, and the first thing I did—I kid you not—is I went and got my hair wet and got my parents, my mom's blow dryer. And I—I I had blonde hair at the time, and I tried to blow dry my blonde hair up to be a flat top like like Ivan Drago. Well, my hair wasn't really cut to be a flat top, but I wanted—I to, I was so inspired. I want to look like this guy, and I, I, obviously that wasn't going to happen with my physique. Uh, at seven years old. But I, I was like, I, wanna, I want to look like him. Well, in 85, the flat top, uh, it was a progressive look for a church kid, as odd as that is with everything else we're doing these days. But it's like a flat top was frowned upon. But I thought, if I can just get this to look right. And I, I, in my eyes, I did. You know, In there, I was like, I look amazing. And, and I, <laughs> I went out to my parents, and I was like, what do you think? You know, what do you, what, can we go this route? And they're like, no. No, we can't go that route. I was was devastated, so I went to the next thing. I was like, well, can I? I want to box. And my father, who grew up unsaved and fought all the time as a teenager, was all too willing to go and buy my brother and I boxing gloves. And so he took us to Toys R Us. And let me just say, (laughs) Toys R Us does not sell boxing gloves. They say they do. Uh, They sell red mittens made by Isotoner, but they say Everlast. And it's like, these are boxing gloves, we swear. And so my dad bought those, and he took us home, and he's like, all right, I'm going to be the referee. <laughs> and he cleared the furniture out of the living room, and he says to my brother, Whitney, he's like, you're standing here, Gabe, you stand here. And he says, I'm going to ring the bell, and, and when I ring the bell, you come together, and then when I ring the bell, you stop. And I was like, all right. And so he's like, all right, so put on your gloves. And I was like, put on the gloves. There's just immediate you know, just hatred for my brother begin to develop because he was older than me and he would always beat me up, always. And I thought, this is this is sanctioned vengeance that, that I can do this. And I'm also so inspired. And I saw someone box. And so therefore, I knew how. And so I, which is really a theme these days. And so I, I, I put the gloves on and my dad rings the bell. And I don't remember moving. Um... my brother just is he's just in my face immediately and he's just beating me up like he always did and and the adrenaline of the moment um um, i just start crying you know i'm seven and i'm crying and he's punching and he won't stop and so i go down like in the you know the fetal position which i thought was a sign of surrender but my father (laughs) didn't see it that way and, and I'm, I'm crying, and, I, and I'm like, I can't stand up because I can't breathe. And then I, I decide, well, if I turn around and move towards the fireplace, that will be the white towel. And I move towards the fireplace, and, and I'm, my back is turned to my brother. He's continuing to beat me. And I look at my dad as I'm getting hit in the side of the head from behind. And my dad is, he's laughing. And, and I was like, you are... The suckiest referee I have ever seen. I can say that now as a man, and so I look back and and, and, and I you know, to be honest with you, i 'd kind of like another crack at it now that i 'm older and a much larger human and, and uh, I, I actually told the story at my home church in Tulsa, and uh, the next week, someone in the church had purchased boxing gloves for both my brother and I. My brother's the pastor of the church that my dad started in 1987 now. And there's like, you know, we would actually love to see that. And I I was like, well, I would too. You know, I don't know where my brother is, but he's hiding because he knows he would not win. (laughs) And I'm looking at my dad and I remember thinking, why won't you stop the fight? Like at some point, enough's enough. Like, I don't know what you're waiting for, um, me to die or what, but, stop, just feel free to stop the fight. And I thought about that a lot over the last, I don't know, few years. And the squeeze is on collectively. I talked about that. But the squeeze is also on with us. And and it's different for each of us. We go through times and seasons where there are things that are just very difficult. And it could be financially. I I know that there are people in this room that right now you are in a financial fight and it feels like the way I felt. You're getting pummeled by it and it won't relent and you cry out to God and what's interesting about that is that people will cry out to God whether they believe in him or not and it's like God why won't you intervene And in some ways, it feels like he's just looking at you laughing, like, because I see what's best for you and and your survival and the way you see it is not important to me. And we're crying out, do something, do something. It it could be that you are in a relational fight. It could be a spouse, a child. It could be your work. It could be a lot of things. You know what it is. It could be an addiction. For men and women, really, it could be a pornography addiction. You know, I mean... there are things that we didn't talk about whenever I was growing up in the church and now are more prevalent. And the statistics say that this is uh, really the real pandemic and, and it is crippling the church and we don't know exactly how to deal with it. And I would say that if you've been in that place and you've followed Jesus, which the two can simultaneously happen is that you've cried out, God, stop the fight. I'm, I'm done, man. I would love it. Just push the button. I'm out take it away, take it away. And I've thought about this a lot in my own life from time to time. Just asking the question, at what point, Lord, do you intervene? And sometimes I feel like I've experienced his intervention and sometimes I've thought you've you've left me in here too long and I really don't have the juice and I really just need you to ring the bell. If you ring the bell, I can go back to my corner, I can sit down, I can rest, I can gather my strength and then we can get back into the fight. But as I was considering this a few years ago, I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit say to my heart, I'm not going to teach you how, or I'm not going to uh, stop this fight. I'm going to teach you how to box. And, and it's a big deal, and it's a big kind of aha moment, because I think that the tendency, and even now in America, is like, we need to retreat back to what it was, right? Because it was better. It was better, and it's not good now, and we need to hold on till it gets better again, till it goes back, and if we could just get everything back the way we had it. And I would say, is there anything wrong with fighting for making things good? No, there's not. But oftentimes what happens is the response isn't to wish for the past and for things to go back. It's a, how do you fight moving forward? It's very important that as a Christ follower, you realize, one, you're in a fight, and two, you win if, You follow Jesus. And so the question that I would ask you is, what do you really want? What do you really want? Do you want to be rescued out of the water, or do you want to walk on it? It's very important that you ask yourself this question, because it it informs your response to your challenge. Instead of the retreat, and we retreat in a lot of ways, we can't just back out of life. Some people try to, some people do some people in their lives, but a lot of people, we medicate. We medicate. So instead of fighting, we medicate, which is what pornography is, alcohol, entertainment, shopping. There's a lot of things you can do to medicate, to sort of relieve the pressure of the fight. And, and what we find is we just sort of stay in the flow of it. Maybe we relieve the pressure for a little bit, but it just comes right back. And what I believe I'm here today to tell you is that the church has a commission. Has a commission. Jesus said it in 20, Matthew 28. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize. That is our command. However, we don't think about that part as much because there are too many other things that we're dealing with and feeling like we're not quite ready to get into the fray with Jesus to do all that work out there because there's just too much going on in here. And, and I don't feel worthy to do those things, so I'm just trying to survive through it, and there's times when I feel great, and there's times when I don't feel so great, and I'm slowly learning. But I want to talk to you about this, and I want to preach to you out of the book of Acts, and really it's, it's just two verses here in Acts 18, and what you see in Acts is Acts is the church. It's a mirror. It's important to pay attention to it because It shows you kind of where you're at. And in Acts 2, the church is born. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He tells his disciples that you have this command. And then on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches about Jesus very boldly, which was not what he was before. He was a bit timid, and then he became bold because Jesus' agenda was operating through him. He preaches and 3,000 people convert. Then the disciples, the apostles, they travel around Israel and they preach. And they're going in and they're telling people, the Messiah you've been waiting for is actually this Jesus. And it was very confusing to them because they were looking for the Messiah, but they thought he was going to come and conquer. And conquer what? Conquer Rome. They were occupied by Rome and they wanted things to go to what they used to be. And they wanted this new kingdom to come in. And then here comes their quote-unquote Messiah, and he dies? This is uh, very shamefully on a cross. This can't be it. But many of them converted. And then the message starts to go out to non-Jews. A man named Saul is commissioned in Acts 9. He's on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him, tells him what he's to do. Changes his name from Saul to Paul and preaches the gospel in the Gentile world. Everywhere Paul went, he was persecuted, namely by the Jews who did not like the message he was preaching. Paul travels and he preaches and he's imprisoned and he's beaten and he's persecuted everywhere he goes. In Acts 17, he's in Thessalonica. The Jews in Thessalonica, they do not like Paul and what he's preaching. So there's a riot in the city and he gets kicked out. He goes to a town called Berea right after that. In Berea, they receive him But the Thessalonican Jews do not like that Berea has received him, so they travel to start a riot in Berea, and Paul has to leave. He goes to Athens, where they just want to sort of reason with him for a while. He leaves Athens, and he goes to a town called Corinth. Corinth is a wicked city. He goes into Corinth to preach. The Jews resist his message. It actually says they become abusive. They become blasphemous. And it says in Acts 18 that Paul shakes out his clothes, saying, your blood is on your head. I have preached, I've given you truth, and you're rejecting it. And in Acts 18, verses 9 and 10, it says that Jesus appears to Paul yet again. And he says this to Paul, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Paul has a renewed sense of commission. He is renewed to the cause of heaven because heaven has a cause. He stays in Corinth another year and a half preaching. There's a progression in these verses that I am here to talk to you about. I'm going to get into this, but before I do, I'm going to pray. And let me just say this. I've been talking to you for a little bit, and just because I'm praying now doesn't mean like that's... So it's an introduction, then you have the prayer, and usually the prayer is quicker off the top, and it's like, oh, dear God, I thought he was almost done, and we're just getting started. No, that's not true. It's not true. It's going to be good. You're going to like it. But but don't be afraid. We're going to pray, all right? And here's why this is important. It's not just like a transition piece to pray. And, and when I was a kid growing up in church, I would often use the prayer, especially if it was a Sunday and I was tired and my eyes were really heavy. It's like, let's pray. I'm like, thank God. Like just kind of, and you know who you are. I see you. Um, but you're, you don't just use it as a, like, I'm tired. This is the thing I would say. And don't just listen to me pray. This is your moment to say a very simple thing. Simple, but yet dangerous. Say, Jesus, here I am. That's it. Mutter it under your breath as I pray, Jesus, here I am. Help me see. You don't have to say much. You don't have to know what he's going to show you. In fact, it's best that you don't. But he wants to commune with you. Because just like in Acts 18, a word from Jesus can change everything. But we have to open the door and so what I'm doing is I'm giving you the opportunity while I pray, not just to have this church moment, but to, but to say, all right, here I am. Because honestly, guys, that's why we're here. That's why we came in. We don't think about it all the time because we're in the habit of coming to church. But surely we came in here really to, like, it would be great if Jesus said something to me. Imagine it. It's very possible. So as I pray, just give him permission. Would you do that? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for bringing me here. But Lord, you brought every one of us here. This is intentional. You don't waste time. You do not waste work. You do not waste words. Your effort is evident by the people in this room. We are not in here because we just really wanted to be. We're here because you have moved us into place. You are the master planner and you are working on our behalf. I pray that your will be done in this room. I know that it will be. I know that you have anointed these words. I know that you've called me here. But Lord, it isn't even important to me that I just deliver this awesome message because who really cares? If it's void of power, what is the point? It makes no difference. So Lord, your power is the thing that we desire and your presence can identify and knows each of us intimately so speak to us the way that we will hear so that we'll always know it's you and move us on your road that's what i ask in jesus name everyone said amen. amen there's a progression here jesus says to paul don't be afraid it's an interesting thing to me because i never read about paul if you've ever read about paul heard about paul thought about paul paul doesn't seem like a guy who is afraid at all. But Jesus doesn't waste his words. So either Paul is afraid or he feels fear on the doorstep. And the fear was the persecution of the message. The fear was that this would be unfruitful. I don't think it had as much to do with what he would experience physically, although he wasn't a terminator. So he surely felt all the pain of the beatings. So wherever he went, he had no idea what he was going to be getting into, and so Jesus says, don't fear, and he says that for a reason. Why should you not be afraid? Because I am with you. I am with you, and in, I have a, my son's 17, my daughter's 19. Years and years ago, when they were little, uh, I showed them the movie, Back to the Future, because I'm a good dad, and the 80s, really, let's all go back to the 80s. I, yeah, forget everything I said about trying to go back. That's where we need to be, <laughs> And so um, I showed him the movie, and he would talk about it a lot as a little kid. Hey, Dad, where, if you could go back in time, wherever would you go? And I always, I always would say, and not because I was just pious, I was like, oh, I don't know how you, not, you just don't go back 2,000 years and to Jerusalem find him. I just, I just would think about, you know, appearing in the DeLorean out there <laughs> and and I would just look for him. You know, I, I, we've all thought about what does Jesus look like and we've been given certain examples and some of those examples are terrible and some of them are the ones that we see now when we pray we see a face of someone that has has, has sort of imaged him to us. But to truly see him, I can't even I can't fathom it to see the creator of all things and to see my lord i i would find the throngs of people and that's where he would be and there's nothing i wouldn't do to get close i would punch those people in the back of the head if i had to and i would i because i just to get there i'd be like there would be no respect level that i would feel that would keep me from just going hang on i just have to i just have to touch him because i know that if i would i would i would i would feel something that that it, and for him to turn and look at you and to know that god is staring at you the one who made you i can't imagine it i know that if i were to see him his eyes would pierce my soul and he would see right through me and and i would know that he would see every part of me, all my failing. And, and I also know that in his eyes, I would see a love that I would, I've never seen before. And a peace would come with that that would just blow my mind. And I think about that, and I think about that when I read this book, and I read about the disciples and how they were with him. And I can't lie, there's a part of me that thinks, well, it would have been different if I could have just walked where he walked seeing what he had seen listened to him physically on the earth but he appears to Paul and he says don't be afraid I'm with you and he wasn't with Paul that way just like he's not physically with us he's with us through his word he tells Paul don't be afraid I'm with you well Jesus is the word made flesh the word dwelt among us and the word went back to heaven and the word is with us today. And his presence is right here. And his presence is your power. And the first part of the progression of being commissioned is to know that this word is Jesus to you. Therefore, if Jesus tells you something, then you would be foolish not to say, yes, sir. And especially when it comes to him saying I love you, I see you, I died for you, for the worst of you, I have forgiven you. Let me just stop at that one. I have forgiven you. Justification is the beginning of the process, and sanctification is the becoming like Christ, and we'll do that till we die, and then in heaven it will be perfected. But many Christ followers never move into commission because we can't get past ourselves. We are stuck on us. Our focus is us. And I'm not even talking about just your selfish ambition. I'm talking about your sin. I'm talking about what you're not. When you lay your head down and you feel inadequate. So when someone talks about doing something for Jesus, even serving in any capacity, it's like, it's not necessarily that I have something against it. It's just, who am I to do that? If they only knew. I don't have the confidence to continue to build that way. When I was seven years old, I was sitting there in the living room of my house and we had a satellite dish, a new satellite dish. And when I say satellite dish, I mean NASA. (laughs) You know, like the ones that you could talk to the aliens with if you just got Jodie Foster and positioned it properly, you know, like this is like, we can make contact. Well, um, I, you, you didn't turn a channel with a remote, you had to move through frequencies, and I was sitting there at seven, my mom was in the room, my brother was in the room, and I'm flipping through the frequencies, and I come across hardcore pornography on this thing, and I just froze, like, I just see, like, skin. You know, I'm like, I'm sitting under the TV. I'm like, oh, it, was, it was shocking to me. And I, and I don't remember, and I don't know what it was that I was really looking at, but I just hear, turn and turn the knob. And so I turned the knob. Well, to my regret, that night, I snuck back downstairs after my family was asleep and went and found it. I did not know what I was looking at. So it was Hardcore pornography, but I don't have memory of hardcore pornography. My mind couldn't comprehend what I was seeing Um, It wasn't that I was victimless or or that I did nothing wrong. I knew that it was wrong I just didn't know the extent of it and it didn't create a pornography addiction because in the 80s in that time There wasn't I mean if there were pornography addictions like that was a different world a seedier world and as a kid, you know, what are you going to do? Like make a run for it at the Walden Books? You know, like you're just hoping someone put a magazine in a magazine is all you really experience. And there wasn't the access that there is today. But what it did in me is it created a path of shame that I carried with me. It's like, it's like the road forked. And I began walking to the left when everyone thought I was walking to the right. And I walked on this parallel, kind of like Stranger Things, upside down world that no one knew I was in it. I knew. And it eroded me to the point where I, I, I was around the church, in the church. My dad started a church. I believed. I never doubted. I didn't run far away from God ever because I believed. But I live with shame. And shame is the the byproduct of sin. It isn't just that the sin is egregious, it is what it creates is such a separation from God. And it isn't just because he disapproves, it's because we disapprove of us. And Jesus died to set you free. And because we're not free yet, we stay in shame, waiting for the day when Jesus is going to just heal us. But the word says, that we are changed when our mind is renewed. And our mind is renewed by this book. You can't move into commission until you accept salvation. And salvation is way more than just your belief. It is the acceptance that Jesus cleansed you. And for those of you in the room, there are some of you, it's just like, you need to hear that. And you go, but yes, but you don't know. And I go, you know what? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I know what it means to be addicted. I know what it means to be stuck. I know what it means to feel like everyone thinks this, but this is what I'm living in. I know exactly what that is. And the part of you that's, or the thing that's saying, no, 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 you're stuck in this thing and no one knows that's a lie. It is a lie. Your enemy is lying to you, trying to keep you separated out. And all you have to do is decide this is true over me. So instead of navel gazing, you decide to change your perspective. The word made flesh. Jesus is with you. What that means, though, is that you have to be with him. And the way that you're with him is through this book. And a lot of us resist this book. You probably resist this book. Some of you, the way I resisted this book. I'd pick it up and I'd read it. I'd do a Bible plan here and there, a chapter of this, a chapter of that. But really, to be honest, it just felt like a lot of vegetables. And I don't like vegetables. And really, it's just like the worst kind, like Brussels sprouts. And not the California kind that, where they like grill it with bacon, because that's tolerable. <laughs> but like boiled, like my mom would make us eat, like eat that eyeball that's green. And it's just like, oh. And, and the, look, there was a lot of the, the Bible, I'd start reading it going, oh my gosh, we've gotten into Leviticus. Like, and I think God knows Leviticus is vegetables. Anyway, we're going to move on. Um, but I would just, I would resist it. And so I wouldn't experience much freedom because my focus was on me. The first part of commission is to take your eyes off you and follow Jesus. How much time do you spend in this book? If you want freedom to experience it, it's been bought and paid for, yeah. but you have, to, you have to work with it, cooperate with it. How much time do you spend in this book? Are you willing to say, I'm going to sit with this book? David said, how does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought you. Lord, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do we hide this word in our hearts? Are you hiding it in your heart? Is it valuable to you? And let me just pro tip. You're going to jump into it and you're not going to experience anything. But you're going to keep going. And as you keep going and you push through the barrier, like everything else you do in your life, Anything worth having, you just start working. And because you can see the end result of most things, you're willing to push through. But this one, because it's somewhat nebulous out there, you're unwilling to do it. Start. You got a Bible plan and it's like six words a day. You might want to add to it. Give a little bit more time. Wake up earlier. Give it time. Meditate it. Memorize it. Little, like, I don't, I don't have a good memory. I'm like, yes, you do. Yes, you do. If I were to start, you know, like I thought earlier, I needed to play some keys for the end of the message, but I only know how to play, you know, November Rain by Guns N' Roses. And so, but I, like, and I can do that. And I'm not sure the Holy Spirit might accompany that, but I know all those words. I could play a little tune. You know, you know things. You've memorized a lot of things. Your mind can contain it, but when you memorize, you mutter, and you mutter it, and it just becomes, it changes your thinking. I spent longer on this point than I want to, but there's a reason. His purpose, or his presence is your power. The second thing I want to talk about is purpose. Jesus told Paul, keep speaking, don't be silent. Paul had a purpose. Paul's purpose was Jesus's plan. Paul had been given gifts by Jesus His gift was his voice. Paul could speak. And by speak, I don't just mean he was an amazing orator. He knew how to translate the gospel to people. And he could write and he had wisdom. And that was his gift. And Jesus gave him that gift for Jesus' agenda. The world is in love with individuality. The world has embraced the idea that you are unique. Young people, you are unique for a purpose that is not your own. Following Jesus, let me just dispel, it is a cross. It just is. There is a point where we have to lay down our life and our agenda, our ambition. But on the other side of the cross is a resurrection, and you don't get resurrection until you lay on a cross. And so you all have been given gifts by Jesus, no matter how old you are, how young you are, a gift from God for his purpose, and the fulfillment you desire, the peace that you long for, that part of you that's like, I am in my groove, will only happen when your gifts are subjugated to his plan, because he's the one that gave them for his agenda. So if you try to use them outside of his agenda, you'll only end up in a cul-de-sac every time. You'll end up doing something, you'll go, this is hollow. You've been given gifts. And let me just say one thing, The plan of Jesus is the church. Now, I I know that there are people in this room, whenever, if you've been coming here for any amount of time, you know that that they've, they've talked to you about getting involved. And if you've gone into the grow room and you've talked about purpose, you know, that's usually attached to some sort of service in the church. Where are you going to serve? I know that a lot of you resist that because you think what I thought, which is how in the world is my purpose, my God-given reason for being on this planet, the parking lot? Like that doesn't, <laughs> are you telling me? No, just, you're, with a straight face, you're saying to me, if I hold the door, I'm going to be fulfilled. That doesn't make sense. In fact, it feels manipulative to me that you're just trying to trick me into doing what you need me to do. Your purpose is not to hold a door. It is not to work in a parking lot, and it is not just to serve kids in a kid's classroom. It is the first step, in many cases, of you subjecting your will and your design to what you know to be the plan and agenda of Jesus. So what happens is you say yes. And you say, I'm going to do this. And you step into it. And as you step in, something else comes. Here's the thing about Jesus. He will give you a step. One. Never 10. Always one. And he'll, oh, he's good at patience. He will park on one. Still one. And you're like, I'm ready for 10. Like, I want to do something great. And he's like, connect card. And you're like, that's crap. Stop like what's the thing? Like I've greatness and he's like connect card. And you're like, I don't want to do it. It makes no sense. you are just trying to collect me in the connect card. He will wait, and he'll sit there and sit there and sit there. And he is unmoved by your angst. Because he knows what you need to do is submit yourself. And you're not putting yourself in subjection to a person saying, You, I trust you, you're going, Jesus, I'll follow you, and you will guard my heart. Wherever I go, you take care of me. Some of you have resisted. You come in here and you're like, I ain't filling that stupid card. As an act of obedience today from a guy that gets nothing for it, I don't get kickbacks on those connect cards. Like, no, I don't get residuals. So just say, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Oh, my gosh. Just, Just do it. Just fill the thing out and see what happens. Take a step. Say, Lord, I'm about your business and I I want to move out of this thing of being inactive to being active and I don't know how, but that's how you lead. He doesn't show you everything. He shows you just enough. His purpose is your purpose. That's how it works. The last thing is this. His people are our priority. Jesus said to Paul, keep speaking, don't be silent. Why? Because I have many people in this city. And if the keyboard player could come, because I do only know November and Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue, and neither of those are ordained. And so if the keyboard player could come, because it just makes everything better. Last June, um, my wife is from Palm Desert, California. It's about 100 miles east of LA, and it's a desert. It's beautiful, but it's a desert, and we went there in June. I'll just say that again. We went to the desert in June like idiots. And I know here in June it might snow, but out there, <laughs> and I am so sorry. Like, I thought Oklahoma weather was bad. It, yeah, I don't mean to make you sad, but it's colder than it's supposed to be. I just want, do you know that? It's not right. What you're like, right, it's not right. When I saw the stuff coming out of the exhaust of the cars, like as a result of the weather yesterday, I was like, this isn't, it's May. This isn't right. Lord, do something. Anyway, (laughs) we're out there in the desert in June, and it's really hot. And it was about 125 degrees. And the funny thing about it out there is they say, well, yeah, it is, it's really hot, but it's dry. And that's crap. It's... 125 is 125. It's not hell. uh, But you're in the parking lot. You're heading in. That's what it feels like. Like we're on the way. (laughs) And my son and I, we went to the gym to work out. And um, we walked outside to go get in the car. And I mean, you immediately feel it. like the oven doors open is what it feels like and your heads in there. And you're just like, oh, my God gosh, this is oppressive. And we get in the car and I turn the car on and I kid you not, you sit there like this because it's, we have leather and it's too hot. And the wheel is leather and it is way too hot to touch. And so I'm just, we're sitting there like this, waiting for the car to cool down. And while we're waiting for the car to cool down, I notice a man walks out of a business next to the gym. And I notice him because he doesn't belong in the space that he's in. He's he, he looks like he's probably 30 years old. He's a really frail guy, big old white, dirty t-shirt, big old dirty jean shorts, white socks up to about here, and no shoes, no shoes. And he walks out, and it doesn't take any time to deduce that he's homeless. And he's on the sidewalk, and he's walking out, and then he hits the asphalt. And he starts doing this across the parking lot. And my son and I are watching him, and I see him and I know what I need to do. And it's not hard to know this isn't right. And I don't have this view and this bleeding heart everywhere I go, I'm probably a lot like you. And even though I get up here and preach, I don't want to, one, be inconvenienced either. And I certainly don't want to get into a conversation with someone that, in my experience, a lot of those have been very unfruitful. And I want to help, but also I know sometimes helping isn't the thing that they need. They need to hit a, another level of rock bottom to get all the things. And I'm thinking all this while I'm watching this guy. And he walks across, and I, I think, my son's with me, and that probably contributed to my generosity, to be honest with you. And I'm thinking, I can't let this guy go on without shoes. This isn't right. This is, this is a, God loves this person. I don't care who he is. I don't care why he's in this space. He needs shoes. So I said, we're going to go get this guy some shoes. So I go across the street, famous footwear. And I go in, and I'm like, he's about 5'10", I bet. So I'll get him a size 11. But I don't want to get him shoes because I don't know exactly how big his foot is. So I'll get him some slides, some athletic slides and new socks. And so I got him, and we drive around. We're looking for him. And I'm looking for him forever. I cannot find him. For 20-plus minutes, I cannot find this guy. And during those 20 minutes in my mind, I'm thinking, God, I gave it my best shot. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying this to him, really, but I'm thinking it. Like, I'm trying, you know, but I really want to go home. I want to take a shower. I want to eat. I want to get on with my day. And so eventually I find him. I pull over. He's sitting outside a bus stop. I pull over, and I get out of the car, and I walk up with this bag. And I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, hey. And I say, hey, uh, I bought you some shoes. And he's sitting there, and he's got this sleeve of Ritz crackers, and he's got a water bottle. And he, he's just eating these crackers, and I say, I bought you some shoes. And he's like, thank you. And when he says, thank you, just the <laughs> crackers. <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I remember walking over with the bag, and he's like, thank you. I'm like, whoa. You know, it's like pandemic. You could see it, at least, where the COVID was going. <laughs> And, and he, you know, and so I'm like, all right, I got you some shoes. And, I, and he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he's talking fast and I can understand half of what he says. And I can't tell if he's high or not. I don't know. I don't even know if he's all there. But I'm like, I'm going to give him these shoes. And I, I, I say, I got you these shoes, but he just keeps eating his crackers. And he's talking and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll see if these fit. So I get the shoe out. And while I'm putting it on, I'm like, hey man, my name's Gabriel, by the way. Because it just felt appropriate at that point to introduce myself while I'm, you know, Cinderella moment. <laughs> Does this fit? And he's like, I'm Michael. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a divine moment right there. The archangels have come together. And as I'm sliding this slide onto his foot, I, I immediately notice, like, okay, this guy's about 5'10", but his foot is like a hobbit foot. It's enormous. And it's just like, this isn't going to work at all. And I'm like, Michael, these are too small. What size are you anyway? 40? And he, he's like, oh, like a 14. I was like, oh, my gosh, who are your parents? And so I just, you know... <laughs> And so I, I, I say, I need to go get you some bigger slides. And he says, could you get me some shoes? Could you get me some shoes? And when he said that, to be honest, I was put off. Because I'd done this before. I brought people food, and they're like, well, do you have any chicken? Like, where's the wine? And I'm like, w-? "Like what year? Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I'm like, like, no, I'm not getting you. Like, God, just, you know. <laughs> And so he says, could you get me shoes? And I'm thinking, this is just like all the other ones, just more, more, more. I'm like, you know what? Um, Sure, I'll get you shoes. And I start to get in the car, and I'm like, you know what? I don't know what size to get you. I said, Michael, get in the car, which goes against (laughs) everything in my being because I, I I don't know where you've been, and I'm a very clean person. And I got a child, uh, he's 17, but still, you know, I'm just like using that as an excuse, like, oh, we got to be safe, you know, and all that. But it's like, you know what, get in the car. Get in the car, we go over to Famous Footwear. We walk in and everyone's looking at us, one, because Michael's not wearing shoes, two, because Michael won't stop talking at the top of his lungs. He's talking so loud. And he will not, f- the crackers never ended. The sli- I, I, I kept looking at the sleeve, I was like, there's no less crackers. Am I entertaining an angel? Really, is what I thought. It's like he just keeps mowing these things down. And he's just cracker dust. A kid still all over the floor at Famous Footwear in Palm Desert. But, but I'm looking at shoes, and I, and I walk in, and Michael goes to the cheap shoes. And while I'm sitting there, I thought, you know what, God? The reason I'm here is because you're good. And I didn't have We were in transition as a family, and I did not know. I had no money and I mean no money, I mean less than no money, which means red. And I'm like, I don't have money to spend. Every dollar counts, but I thought, God, you're good. Even though I am in a squeeze, you have been good to me. And and so I'm like, Michael, what shoes do you want? And he's staying over at the cheapest shoe he sees. And I walk over to some, they were just vans, but there are vans that I wanted when I was a kid that I never got. And I saw him. And I was like, hey, Michael, come over here. And he lumbers over, and and I say, hey, do you like those? And he just goes, "He looks at me,
1: hell yeah, I like those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I say that because, again, it was a, you know, look, look, I'm not perfect. And so when he says this, it's not like I am so offended at your words. But it's another one of those things, right? That's like, God, where are you going with this? And I said, they're yours. And he goes, this is such a blessing! This is such a blessing! He says this, and and, and what Michael didn't know is that the whole time I'm praying, you know, one, for strength, and two, like, God, if you want me to do more, I'll do more. I mean, we're here. (laughs) You've already ruined my afternoon, so... If you want to go, we'll go. And, uh, and when he said blessing, I was like, that's an acknowledgement of a higher power. I'll take it. I mean, we're in California. That's probably as good as I'm going to get. <laughs> and so I said, well, Michael, I'm a pastor. And he looks at me like just, he's shocked. He's like, what? What? And then he starts to tell me about every church in the Coachella Valley and how they're all horrible they're all terrible and you know what it's like part of it's like oh man but it's like Michael doesn't know, what the, he doesn't know what he's talking about here's a guy that's homeless he's high half high at least he's coming down off a of high <laughs> he's telling me about the churches and why they're all doing it wrong and I thought this is another I know people like you you know the church better than the church knows the church and in your mind the church is all corrupt and I'm like Michael look in a mirror is what I'm thinking but I go over, we sit down. And I'm like, hey, put these shoes on, put these socks on. It takes him 20 minutes to do that because he won't stop eating those crackers. And he's talking so loud and I'm sitting there listening. And I decided I'm going to listen because I gathered that no one had listened to Michael for a long time. And I thought, he's important. He's been cast out and he's made a lot of dumb decisions, but he matters. That's why I'm here. We go get in the car and Michael, where do you want to go? And he tells me and I start to take him and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be bold. I said, Michael, God sent a pastor from Oklahoma to California to buy you some shoes and to tell you that he loves you, that he is not mad at you like you think he is and he has a plan for you still. And in the back of my car, Michael broke down. He starts bawling and while he's crying, he's crying out to God, out loud, in my car. He then starts telling me his story, how he was raised in a Christian home, and his dad was religious but very abusive. And he ran away from home at 15, he dropped out of high school, he started doing drugs, he said, I still do drugs, I've made a lot of dumb choices. And he's talking to me, and while I'm listening to him, I, I just listen and I say, well, Michael, you, you know what you need? God sent me here, and I'm going to tell you something. And when I tell you, you're going to do it. And I just decided, this man needs to be led, and I'm just going to tell him. It's like, you need to go to church. You need to go to church. And after all that I had done for him, he listened. I said, is there a church in this valley that doesn't suck? And he's like, well, there's one. I said, go to that one. And you're going to go to that one, and here's what's going to happen, Michael. People are going to look at you funny. Who cares? Keep going. You're going to get connected to somebody. They might look at you funny. Who cares? Keep talking. They're going to offer you to get into a group. They're going to offer you help. They may say things that you don't know that you agree with. It doesn't matter. You keep going. Do you understand me, Michael? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm like, yeah, I'm. You do what I told you because God sent me here. Every bit of leverage I had, I used. (laughs) Because I knew it was what he needed. I took him to the place he wanted to go, which was just a U-Haul parking lot. He didn't have anywhere to go. When I pulled over, I got out, and I thought, against again, everything in me, I was like, I'm giving this man a hug. I love him, but I'm, there's the part of me that wants to, like, ah, the part you feel. And I go over and I give him a hug, and he just grabs me, and he squeezes me, and he holds me, and he's just crying on my shoulder. And he's just saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, F.A. And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I had to look it up. And I said, you're welcome, Michael. And I looked at him and I said, Michael, if you ever doubt God loves you, I just want you to look at your feet. God sent a man to buy you shoes because he loves you. And I start to drive off and I will never forget seeing him walk off. He's not looking at, he's walking off the parking lot and, and he looks down at his feet and he just starts going... And he just goes, look at my shoes. He's yelling it at us as we're driving off. Look, and I thought, here's this guy, he, he hasn't been proud. And who knows how long has he thought, look at me. And I thought about that when I was coming here. And I thought, why? It's just love. It's love to the unlovely, which is what Jesus did coming out of perfect heaven to see you as unlovely as you were and even may still be. He loves you. And he shares his goodness with you. And I thought about that because Jesus told Paul, preach, preach. Why? I have many people in this city. And the thing about Jesus' people is you don't know who they are. They're like, Michael, I didn't look at that guy and thought, there is an opportunity for the gospel. I thought, I'm ready to go home. You know. And even till the end, I didn't know what his plan was. But we're to... We're to share Jesus with the unlovely and not just sit back with our belief going, they're different. They vote different than me. They look different than me. They're morally different than me. These are not candidates for the gospel. Who are you to say that? The Lord does not delight in the judgment of the wicked. It's in Ezekiel 38. He says, I take no pleasure in it. How can we, if he's not looking forward to the day of separation, justice and judgment will come because he's righteous, but it isn't his desire. And he is not looking forward to the day when the people who are different than you get their comeuppance to prove you right. He wants to use you to buy someone's shoes so they can walk where you walk. And let me just say this, on your seat is an invite card. Now let me just preface it with this. There are people that need to be in this room, but they're not ready to walk in. I want all of you to take the invite card with you. Not just to go do the very easy thing. Well, it's easier to go kind of the hit and run like, 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 oh, thank God that's over. Woo. That was hard. But to hold on to it, because some people are like Michael. If I would have told Michael in the beginning, you go to church, can I pray for you, sir? After I gave him the shoes, he would have said, sure, it would have done nothing. But it was love. And I walked with him for a little bit. And because I walked with him and because I showed him the goodness of God, then Michael was ready to receive. He needed shoes to walk where I walk without thinking. Maybe for you, the people, it is shoes. Maybe for you, it's something different. Maybe it isn't a homeless person, maybe it's a family member that you've written off. Maybe it's a coworker that is too godless for you to engage with, or maybe it's just someone that you feel too inadequate. This is why the progression matters. You are saved. You have been justified by faith. What Jesus says is true. Just aside. It's a matter of punctuation. Stop putting question marks where Jesus puts periods. And you have been called according to His purpose. You have been given gifts that will fulfill you. Begin to move in it, and his purpose is always, always, always going to be for people. Always. Jesus said, Come, follow me. That's his presence. And I will make you. That's purpose. Fishers of men. I have to say this, Joe, do I have three minutes? I'm sorry. So I told the story in my home church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm almost done, I promise. And you can write hate letters to Joe Joe Bevilacqua at New (laughs) Chapel. That's great. great. (laughs) Yeah, he likes us. Um, I preached this message in Oklahoma. Not this message, but told this story in July of last summer. And I tell the story, and I preach the message. I go back to the hotel, because we were in California. I flew back. Go back to the hotel. And I get a text from a pastor in the church. And the pastor says, you've got to read this. There was a woman in the church. Her name was Amanda, a young woman. She's a nurse. She says, I was working on the burn unit last winter. They called me and said, work on the burn unit. I'd never been to the burn unit before, never been back since. I'm in there. And they brought in a homeless man who had been had experienced frostbite. A man brought him in, saved his life in there. And I'm talking to him, and, and my heart was moved for this guy, and I knew I had to help him. So I go back to my husband. And I said, we have to do something to help this guy. My husband was reluctant. But she said, I, I can't explain it, but I feel like God is telling me to do this. And, and she, says, she says, God doesn't talk to me all the time, but I just knew I needed to do something. So they helped this guy transition into some sort of, some sort of home. And she says, we have been inviting him to church, for a long time and they went to my home church there but the man who saved Michael's life that night hes also part of a homeless crew and he was working with this guy I said Michael that was his name Michael the homeless man's name is Michael this guy says I've invited him to church a lot but Michael never wanted to come to church because his transition from homeless life to life in a home too much angst but this Sunday he said could we go to church and he said, or Saturday, he said, yeah, we can go to church. And he said, I want to go to church on the move. That's my home church. And he said, well, yeah, we can go there. Why do you want to go there? And he said, well, someone from that church once gave me money at the gas station. And then someone, there was a church on the move T-shirt in the dumpster. And, and he just wanted to go there. And it says, Michael shows up. And it says in the text thread, it says that the crux of the message was about a homeless man named Michael who the pastor had engaged with in California. That guy was in the service that night I preached about this man in California. And he said that Mike in Tulsa, Oklahoma, cried the whole way through the message and gave his life to Jesus afterwards. He's in his 60s. He said he can't stop smiling. I've never seen him happier and he won't stop telling everyone his story. And I thought, God's playing chess. You don't know your part. Maybe it isn't like mine. Maybe your job is just to give money. I know that a lot of us have decided we're not going to do that. But don't write off a method. Leave yourself open to the Holy Spirit. Maybe he says, give that man money. Because because Michael got money that day, he was moved towards our church. Or maybe you're the person that throws the church's t-shirt in the dumpster. You know, maybe you're like, I got that. Like, I, I will obey. <laughs> but whatever it is, it's important. It takes us all. We're commissioned people. I I hope that this renews your sense of commission. That's my prayer, that it renews your sense of commission, but not just your work, that you're loved. It will change your life when you realize that Jesus loves you the way you are, and that he will set you free, and out of that you will give, you will love, you will serve, you will pay attention to his word, because you're just so grateful. I pray that you know the height, the width, the depth, and length of His love. I'm going to close. I've gone too long. Would you bow your heads, please? If you're in the room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, oh, it is the beginning of a life that you could never predict, a life that you maybe wouldn't expect, maybe even a life that you wouldn't choose because you would never choose something so good for yourself because you just wouldn't know how. But if you're in the room and you know that You're in this room for a reason, and that Jesus is pulling on your heart. And that feeling you have in your heart, that's Him. It isn't just that you're emotionally stirred, it's that He loves you so much that He is present in the room. He truly is pulling on you to bring you home. But coming home is a pathway that you must walk. And don't let your fear of being able to hold the line keep you from saying yes to the invitation. And the invitation is a simple one. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. Repeat the words. And it isn't just that they're magic words. It's a surrender. You're just saying, I surrender. You're just saying, I don't even know what that means entirely, but I'm willing to say yes to you. I'm going to move on the thing that I'm feeling in my heart. I'm going to say yes to whatever it is I'm saying yes to. That's what you're going to do. And it is a journey, but he will do the hard work. You just say yes to him. So if you're in the room and that's you, you pray this with everything you've got. If you're in the room and you've done this before, you pray this with everything you've got. Repeat this after me if you're comfortable. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Even when I've been unlovely, you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me, to be resurrected for me. Jesus, thank you. Bring me back to life. Starting now, I follow you where you go. Give me strength. Make me new from the inside out. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. I bow my knee to you today. Thank you, Father, for these people. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for moving on our hearts. Thank you for the love we feel in this room. That is you. It's a story of mine. It's your story. It just shows us how deeply you love us and you go to the utmost lengths to show us. May we never forget. Holy Spirit, remind us that we are commissioned. We are forgiven. We have purpose and we have an agenda and it's yours, your people. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Would you give the Lord praise because we know that people's lives are changed today. By faith, we know it. So would you just give him a hand clap? Thank you.
1: I don't think I need to explain to you what happened here today. I think he mobilized a church. Pastor Gabe, Ms. Summer, thank you so much. We are in your debt. And I pray, guys, that this is something that does mark us. I needed that. Anybody else want to give an amen? Can we give it up for Pastor Gabe? Thank you, sir. Church, we're in a very cool spot, and God is doing his thing. Uh, I do want to remind you, next week is going to be phenomenal. Uh, It's going to be an opportunity really to invite people with you who need to hear the message. And uh, I, I believe this. I believe that God is on the move here because his church is mobilized. We're going to do it, we're going to do it together. Uh, one more time, let's give those people praise. Uh, God praise for the people that accept the Christ. You can stand up on your feet. We're so honored that you're with us today. Would you get it up for my wife? Babe, come out here. Let's pray for the people. Guys, we are so excited for next week. Kai will be preaching. You excited about that, babe? I'm too. Front row seat, everybody. Can we pray for you? Would you lift your hands for the blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great weekend.